listening to Radio Tedland. Heading Nowhere, written by Patrick Cullen. Chapter 1. The Roof. I needed to escape, away from Tel Aviv and out of the country. I'd been on a kibbutz in the north for a while, but after that, I'd needed to earn some money. I'd been friendly with a woman up there who had a brother in Tel Aviv I might get work with, but she'd also warned me about him. She wouldn't say specifically what it was, just hinting vaguely that he wasn't a good person. Anyway, I'd headed south and made my way back to the White City on the coast. Something about Tel Aviv had grabbed me right from the start, vitality and diversity, a feeling that all life was to be found there. And then there were the buildings, white, flat-roofed Bauhaus and international style, built with the zeal of fresh immigrants over half a century ago. They'd been dying a slow death beneath a harsh Mediterranean sun ever since. Despite the decay of the dream, I adored them, the sound of traffic and the bustling activity of human life day and night serving as a constant soundtrack to their peeling paint and crumbling plaster. The other thing I really loved about Tel Aviv was the cheap vodka you could buy for almost no money. If you mixed it with juice or soda, the mix cost more than the vodka, which I was sure wasn't actually vodka. I had a theory it was a byproduct of some chemical-laden industrial process, originally designed to strip paint and rust from oil rigs under the sea. But whatever it might have been, it was cheap, and it got you there. There was anywhere other than here, wherever that might be, if not taking you to oblivion, then at least making you oblivious. If cheap vodka be the fuel of self-hate, then drink on, give me excess of it. And I did, all that I could. There was a part of me, though, that didn't want to self-destruct entirely. As much as I didn't want to live, even more did I not want to die. I did what I could to live self-destructively, while stopping short of actual self-destruction. Some flicker of self-preservation let me know the vodka was killing me just a little too quickly, and if I wanted to prevent my self-destructive ways from ending in actual self-destruction, I needed to get away, from Tel Aviv and from Israel itself. I'd been in Tel Aviv for a couple of months, staying at a hostel on Dizengoff Square. I worked long hard hours for cash in hand, using my money on alcohol and drugs, then rent and food, most often in that order. The hostel staff were pretty good at helping people find work, often potential employers rung and asked for a certain number of people for a certain number of days. It was in the hostel's interest, there were a lot of long-term residents like myself. Sometimes you had a period where you were unable to find work, which typically meant no money and problems paying the rent. The hostel would let it slide for a while, but after some time, people would get thrown out, where the usual option was to sleep on the beach. The hostel was pretty good about it, though, and they'd usually let you keep a rucksack locked up safe after you'd gotten thrown out. The woman I'd been friends with on the kibbutz up north had given me an introduction to her brother, and for the most part, I was lucky to be working for him. His name was Omer, a big balding man with slightly mad, intense eyes and an infectious enthusiasm difficult not to like. He was a gangster, I think, but a friendly one, and a former cocaine addict, where the former was ever so slightly flexible. Pretty much all the buildings in Tel Aviv had flat roofs. Besides being an aesthetic statement, this gave the roofs a range of different uses. Some easier to get to were converted to rooftop terraces, most though were only reached by climbing up through a skylight, and contained little more than TV antennas, 
and solar panels heating nearby water tanks. The roofs were asphalted to protect against winter rains and then painted white to reflect the sun and protect from summer's heat. Omer had a business maintaining the roofs. Occasionally there was a leak, necessitating patching a hole in the asphalt, mostly though the roofs just needed painting white again to keep the heat off the top-floor residents. In many ways this was far from the perfect job for me, for the simple reason I was extremely scared of heights. I know it's often argued people aren't actually afraid of heights, just the prospect of falling from them, but that's like saying you're not afraid of snakes, only of being bit by them. It makes perfect rational sense, but fear is most often not rational, and I was afraid of heights. The roofs Omer was paid to maintain were on buildings five or six stories high, often with just a small parapet at the edge, no more than three or four inches high, separating the safety of the roof from a lot of empty air and nothingness all the way down to the hard street below. The difficulties involved actually gaining access meant we usually hoisted the things needed for the work up to the roof in a big plastic barrel tied to a rope. This involved getting right to the edge of the roof and dropping the rope down below, then hoisting up a barrel filled with 25 kilos of chalk, lime and glue. We also needed brooms, because one of the first things we always did was sweep the roof clean of any small stones and other debris. The first two weeks working for Omer, I didn't get closer than a broom handle length to the edge of the roof. Nobody forced me to work for him. He seemed to be offering pretty regular employment, and the fact I knew his sister gave me a degree of confidence he'd actually pay me. But there were other jobs available through the hostel, typically construction or dishwashing. I took the job because I thought it could be interesting working for Omer, and also because of my fear of heights. I figured it gave me a chance to challenge my fear, prove to myself I could conquer it and somehow leave it behind. It worked, this personal battle to impose some rational volition upon irrational avoidance and anxiety. But like most things, it needed to be maintained. Now, many years later, I'm once more afraid of heights, or at least I would be, if I ever reached them. What's different is I know from experience I conquered fear once before, so why shouldn't I be able to conquer it again, if I ever need to? The cables, hoses, and other equipment needed for the solar panels, antennas and water tanks made it difficult moving around on the roofs. With one eye on the edge and the empty nothingness beyond, the other looking out for tripwire like cables at ankle height, I didn't really pay that much attention to sweeping the roof. I still got the work done okay though, but something that made the job even more difficult was Omer himself. Maybe it was because of his other business activities, I'm not sure, but he certainly didn't like an early start. I'd get to his place at the agreed time of seven o'clock and normally get sent to the kiosk across the road to buy cigarettes and chocolate milk. Then we'd sit around for a couple hours smoking and drinking coffee. This was fine by me, and I still got paid for doing nothing, but it also meant we'd be later getting to the job. And in a city like Tel Aviv, working under a midday sun on a job that could have been finished by 10 or 11 was to be avoided if possible. It wasn't just the heat, it was also the glare from the newly whitewashed roof coming back in my face, and often I would stumble around as though drunk because of the heat, which didn't help my fear of heights. I liked Omer, even though he was lazy. It was his business, and he employed me to do the work, but he also told great stories. The occasional time he actually got up on the roof himself, he'd gaze around at the surrounding buildings, hoping for a sight of a woman undressing. 
The nakeds, he'd say. I have to see the nakeds. In a similar vein, he once told how he'd met his wife. She was a nice woman, about seven months pregnant, and with a penchant for getting high on sniffing turpentine. Anybody that says they're without faults is either a liar or blind to themselves. It's the way in which we do wrong that makes us good or bad. Omer met her when she replied to an advertisement he had for a room he was renting in his apartment. He chose her because he found her attractive and over the course of time became more and more obsessed with her. To satisfy his curiosity, he drilled a hole from his room through to the bathroom so he could spy on her while she took a shower. Only after some months spent voyeuristically inspecting her nakedness did he feel sure enough to talk with her about some form of relationship, and a short time later they were married. Don't let it be said romance is dead. I liked Omer, and though the job was tough and dirty, it was regular employment and had helped me learn how to conquer my fears. All the same, I was drinking too much, and I was convinced the only way to beat the problem was to run away from it. I decided I had to leave Israel. The conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians was an ever-present part of life. At the time I decided to leave, things were starting to heat up, with Hezbollah threatening to start firing missiles from Lebanon into the north of the country. They wouldn't reach Tel Aviv, though there were always rumors of new rockets with a longer range, but the firing of missiles would without doubt lead to Israeli retaliation, with the potential to spiral out of control. I didn't care really, which is to say on some level, I had sympathy with those on both sides whose lives were disrupted by the conflict, but I cared more about myself. And as I really didn't care that much about myself, I didn't really care a great deal about anyone else either. What I mean is that I wasn't afraid of rockets and the threat of war. It simply didn't influence my decision either way. Though I wasn't particularly keen on the idea of living, I'd found out I didn't actually want to kill myself either, and the amount of vodka I was drinking and my inability to say no to it made me fearful for my prospects of surviving the coming months. So I decided to leave. Omer saw things differently. In his eyes, I was a coward. He saw me as some fair-weather friend, enjoying the sunshine and good times on the beach, but running away at the first sign of gathering storm clouds. Looking back, I can see his point. Not that he was right, but that it's understandable he should have seen things that way. At the time, though, I was some sort of fundamentalist of the individual's right to do as they see fit. I believed if I knew or felt my reasons for doing as I did were right, it didn't matter what anyone else thought. It's not as though that way of doing things is wrong as such. It's simply that we don't live alone here in the world, and the way we're seen to do things becomes the label put upon us and our actions. What people think we've done, if enough people think it, becomes the truth about us, no matter how loudly our true intentions might shout the opposite. That Omer thought I was a coward running away from the threat of war was in itself quite interesting, because like most Israelis, he'd done military service and had taken part in Ariel Sharon's great adventure, the Lebanon War of the Eighties. According to the stories he'd told, Omer hadn't exactly covered himself in glory during that conflict, having been more interested in loading stolen trucks with contraband and driving it back to Israel than finding any actual enemy to fight. There was another reason for his being unhappy with my leaving, though, which was he'd offered me a new job, something completely different to maintaining the flat roofs of Tel Aviv. Apparently Omer and a friend had decided to open a brothel. They had an apartment, they had a couple of women to work there, 
Now they just needed someone to mind the day-to-day -day business. Someone they could trust with the money. Someone on hand to sort out any problems that might arise. He promised me a cut of the money, on top of which I could live in the apartment for free and wouldn't have to pay for sex with the women. It all sounded good, almost too good. And the way Omer told it, he was simply offering me the chance to establish myself, get out of the hostel and get cleaned up, and raise some capital too. I thought about it, but not for long. I liked Omer, but it didn't mean I trusted him. As long as things went well, I was sure he'd keep his side of any bargain. But things didn't always go well, and I was concerned if there were problems, he would have no reason whatsoever to be loyal to me. Though I could count in Hebrew and say hello and goodbye and a few different things, I couldn't really talk the language, which I was sure could lead to problems if I took him up on his offer. If nothing else, it would trigger my latent paranoia, not knowing what people around me were saying in a world of gangsters and criminals. Just like not being afraid of the threat of rockets, but simply wanting to avoid alcohol, my reasons for turning down Omer's offer were open to interpretation. This time, though, it was worse than being seen as a coward. Now I was seen to be making a moral judgment. I didn't tell Omer I didn't trust him. I simply said it wasn't for me, and he joined up the dots of my words with lines of his own. The picture he drew was of me looking down on his criminal ways from the imagined comfort of my moral high horse. And it's fair to say we didn't part as the best of friends.